Welcome to the most enchanted podcast in all the realms. I'm Lynn. I'm Elisa. And I'm Chell. Together, we are the, the Narrators, Narrators 3. Three. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch, where all plot devices come with a price. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 3, Episode 10, The New Neverland. The air date for this episode was December 8, 2013. The writer for this episode was Andrew Chambliss. Okay, my, my initial note was, who let this man fly so low? But... But you've since, you've since reconsidered? I am now going to retract my comment. Yeah, he did okay. He surprised us. Yeah. Yes, he did. Yeah. Maybe Ian is the main problem of that season one and two pair. I mean, if I'm not wrong, he's the one who is no longer having anything to do with the show at this point, He is, correct? yeah. He's correct. just, I mean, he's a producer, I think. Yes, yes, yes. But he doesn't write any more episodes. So, yeah, maybe. Maybe. I'm, maybe. I'm glad, I'm glad you're free, Andrew Chambliss. <laughs> <laughs> Finally. Fly. Fly, little bird. Um, anyway, moving on. Being, being put in the get-along shirt with Kalinda Vasquez did him good. Yeah. But anywho, the director of this episode was Ron Underwood, and the title card is Medusa. In present-day Storybrooke, Belle is leading Ariel along the docks to find Eric, who is currently butchering fish. Ariel winces at this, thinking Eric must hate her. I'm like, he doesn't know you're a mermaid, so it's not like a creepy threat. So, so don't worry, Ariel. It's it's just his job. Okay, but to be fair, it's pretty grisly that the first time you see Eric, he's just murdering Ariel's friends. <laughs> like, why is she so calm? This is like a mermaid horror movie. Yeah, that would be that would be pretty scarring. <laughs> It's pretty <laughs> fucked up when you think about it. Well, then it has me wondering, well, what do mermaids eat? Because I kind of think that they would eat fish. I think they eat kelp. Seaweed. Okay. Fish are seaweed. friends, not food. <laughs> okay. I mean, at least in Under the Sea, like, that song was all about, like, dude, humans eat fish. That's so messed up. That's and she true. was, And it was like, oh, you're right. That is messed up, dog. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in the Little Mermaid TV show, you see them eat seaweed, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they have like seaweed. There's like a seaweed pasta, I think, in one episode. Yeah, I have a memory. I, I, I okay. remember, like, not that, you know, not that we're necessarily making the TV show canon because it was balls out weird, but I feel like I remember in the Disney Little Mermaid TV show, there was a lot of them eating various configurations of seaweed. Oh, Wasn't there okay. a boy named Urchin in the TV show? Yeah, yeah. there was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's not like the uh, duck logic. Of the cartoons of yore where they are actively eating other lesser, I'm assuming, versions of fowl. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the messed up things about Ursula when you meet Ursula because she eats like shrimp or something like that, right? Yeah. So and it's very, it's very clearly seen to be sentient and afraid of her and shown as like a bad thing. So that kind of like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, there's just the little shrimp she picks up and it's like making it like, oh, no and she crunches on it mm -hmm. yeah and then the beginning in fathoms below there's the fish that escapes from the fisher's net and then like escapes to safety in in atlantica right so like that's a safe place for for fish to be oh that's true yeah, yeah i guess fish wouldn't hang out with mermaids if they thought they were going to be eaten no yeah. i mean ariel's best friend's a fish yeah but he's not a tasty fish well no but he is a fish <laughs> he's a fish <laughs> but he's not a tasty fish <laughs> Now, I would be very concerned for Sebastian hanging around me because the character I most identify with is Louis. 
Oh God! Oh no! <laughs> this Lip took a on. dark. This took a dark turn. What's Bell and Ariel doing? <laughs> yeah. Oh God, Christ! Let's please move on. <laughs> Bell gives her friend an encouraging push towards her prince. Once their eyes meet, Eric lights up at seeing Ariel. They reunite with a kiss. I'm very pleased they had him remove his fish gut riddled rubber apron before approaching Ariel in her nice designer clothes. You mean his murder apron? <laughs> his murder, <laughs> his murder yes, apron. his murder apron. <laughs> <laughs> this was like a really quick scene, but the little reunion between Ariel and Eric was was pretty cute. It was a nice little. I mean, at least we got closure this. with them, right? Because yeah. true, uh, like with Frederick and um, Abigail, Abigail, we, we never, never did. do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As Belle watches her friend reunite with the man she loves, a gust of wind signals the opening of a portal as the Jolly Roger flies through and returns to Storybrooke. We cut to the Neverland crew disembarking from the Jolly Roger, amongst cheering and applause from the townies. Leroy is especially excited. He's just like, yeah, yeah, it's adorable. (laughs) I love how stiffly jointed Jared S. Gilmore acts when he's being hugged by literally everyone since he's, you know, supposed to be pan it's like really good job he's like you know Mm -hmm. yeah he honestly does a very good job channeling robbie case pan i'm very impressed with this kid yeah me too he was convincingly like silently threatening this whole episode it was really it was well done Mm -hmm. i was impressed he also just like i feel like got the body language down really well yeah i'm wondering if they hung out you know i think they had to have because they both had each other's mannerisms down so much i feel Mm -hmm. like they had to have like studied each other Mm -hmm. in a non-creepy way yeah yeah you know i time and time again i remember the show being on the first time i remember being on tumblr when when the show was on and seeing people just annoyed overall about the character henry people complaining about jared being a bad actor and he's not he's good this kid is good number one he's a kid but number two he's good it, he has to carry a lot of the emotional weight of the show and i think he does a great job at it and you know re-watching now i i only have more respect for him because i think he did a wonderful job yeah absolutely. I, honestly a lot of times it's people just hate the kid on the show yeah it's the wesley factor yeah, yeah. it's like he's young and i don't like that Mer is pretty yeah. much the entirety of it and yeah. like we recently watched next gen and you know who we loved we loved wesley he's a great character yeah i love wesley yeah because i mean honestly so many of the episodes are like everyone on the enterprise just being like oh what do we do and wesley's like okay i know what to do and they're like shut up wesley and he's like okay well i guess i'll fix it behind your back <laughs> <laughs> justice for wesley hashtag justice for wesley justice, justice for, for wesley, wesley. Justice for Henry. Will Wheaton would appreciate that. <laughs> Blows a kiss to space for Will Wheaton. I love Will Wheaton. <laughs> During the reunion scene, I did think it was really cute that Snow was so excited to see Ariel and then Eric again. It was a nice little continuity moment. Also tying up another loose end. I thought that was nice. Yeah, there were a lot of nods to friendship in this episode, which has, you know, also a lot of romance in it as well. Um, mm-hmm. And there, it, it's just really amazing what they were able to like pack in with like a quick a quick moment like this it also just goes to show the editor like whoever edited this episode you know really knew what to keep in yeah Mm -hmm. this was a good one (laughs) we just started but i liked it while regina stands back and avoids the joy like a true grinch emma asks henry how it feels to be home 
better than I ever imagined, he says, as he meets Felix's gaze in a not at all weird way. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Mr. Gold reunites with Belle, who reminds him that she told him they would see each other again. That's the last time I don't listen to you, he replies. It would not, in fact, be the last time Mr. Gold did not listen to her. Uh, yeah, that's basically what I wrote, because, yeah, no. Morgan Freeman voice. Mm-hmm. Neil joins them, returning the cane he believes his father will need. Mr. Gold says he will use it as a reminder of the man he was and shall no longer be. He would, in fact, still be the man he was, thanks to the lack of imagination from certain showrunners. <laughs> womp womp. Womp womp. Random, random thought. All right. Only mildly related to this scene, and I thought okay. of it right now, and I wanted to, I wanted to bring it up. Going back to season two in Manhattan, we had that moment where Mr. Gold was like, oh my God, I found you. And I know you also just found out about your son, but like, come come home with me and I'll make you a boy again and we'll have a redo. And <gasps> we never, right. and when the pan reveal happened, we never talked about it. And I remember being like, let's talk about that when it happens. Yeah. And so- you know, this is a moment of trauma for Rumpelstiltskin. And yet, fast forward years later, he not only wants Neil to do the same thing that his father essentially did, and then do that essentially to to Henry. Like, Henry also gets a father and then loses him. Like, that father becomes a boy again. That's like what, what Mr. Gold wanted. That's weird, right? That's some crazy bad writing, crazy bad continuity, man. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that was meant to be a, like an actual link. Do you know what I mean? I almost yeah. wonder, I actually now almost wonder if like when they were like deciding what to do for season three, they like went back and like, like they remembered that line or, you know, they were rewatching and they were like, hey, you know what would be really fucked up, but cool. That's definitely a possibility. Mm-hmm. You know, like looking back at it, looking at it with the lens of this has always been intended, like the reason why Rumpelstiltskin like thinks of that is because he saw it happen. And he's also mm-hmm. not thinking about Henry at all in that moment. Right. Anyways, sorry, it's completely off topic to the scene. It was just Mr. Gold referring to Peter Pan as that boy. And you're just like, that's, that's your father. That boy's mm-hmm. your dad, you dumbass. And then and that made me think of, oh man, remember when he tried to make Neil do the exact same thing? Right. It's like, this is how it's going to be now. You can be a boy again. I feel like interesting think pieces could be done on it. But also, I think you're right. I, I don't think that was planned. Mm-mm. No, I think it's, I think, like, as I've pointed out in other episodes, I feel that's giving them way too much credit. I bet there's an amazing, like, Tumblr think piece on it, though, somewhere. Oh, someone's written it. Someone oh, out I'm there sure. has done the work, and I'm sure it's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And if you have, if you have, send it to us. We would love to read it. Please tag Once Upon a Rewatch on Tumblr. Honestly, if you've written any deep think pieces about Once Upon a Time, absolutely, we would love to read it. So please, please let us know. I know we we still have to like address one that we never we never did (laughs) about like the the parallels between. Oh yeah, you wanted there's a pan. I think yeah, it was like pan deep think you you really wasn't pan. It was like it was Neil and Rumpel. Oh Um, well, I mean that's something we can come back to. An analysis on similarities and differences between Neil and Rumpel because to this person Neil almost seemed like a Rumpel light, and I don't know this. This I think this person is not a fan of Neil. 
Well, everyone is entitled are. to their own opinion. We like Neil. I didn't know people didn't really like Neil until I looked at the Once Upon a Time fandom that exists. Well, that's how can you not look at that face? I know. Well, those big puppy dog eyes. Yeah. I'm not to lie. You got that pouty mouth. I, I love I him. don't. I mean, I know where it comes from, yeah, but I don't I under- agree with it. Yeah, I understand yeah. where it comes from. There is a repeat of that kind of drama in the Stranger Things fandom right now about dates on a on a, oh, yeah. a flyer no one was ever going to like, you know, place. It was not actually like shown in the show. It's someone found it from a leaked like set photo. Yeah. And then, yeah, it was never going actually to ship used war about it. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and it's just for Eddie and Chrissy. Yeah. You know what? Gives a fuck. <laughs> right? <laughs> They're fictional fucking characters. I, people, yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. I love I love my ships. But, like, at the end of the day, I am an adult who could recognize that this is fictional media and move yeah. on with my goddamn life. We are getting distracted. But we're getting distracted with relevant thing pieces. Yes. It's true. This isn't just, like, some of the snowball tangents we've had that had literally nothing to do with Once Upon a Time. Yeah. Mm, still. At least this is content. <laughs> yeah. But anywho, when Wendy exits the ship, she reunites with her darling Crandalls and their long-last brother, Neil. And she's just like, hello, my tiny child brothers. You grew up to be full-ass dorks. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but the darlings in Bay all reuniting and hugging was really sweet. And like Neil's face, he was so happy. It was all just really precious. I loved that moment. You know that they all had like this fun slumber party afterwards, like at his like room in, at Granny's B&B. They're like, let's go have a slumber party and catch up. <laughs> so what you been doing these last hundred years? Yeah. <laughs> well, Granny's just hitting a broom against the ceiling going, I said no guests! <laughs> <laughs> Clearly stated in the renter's policy. <laughs> okay, but other side tangent, just real quick. How fucking weird would it be to be Wendy and be like, oh, <laughs> hello, tiny, tiny, tiny child John who is younger than me. Oh, I know. Michael, who was like the baby. Michael, that's who I meant. Like itty bitty baby wearing butt flap pajamas (laughs) and a teddy bear Michael. And now he's just like, Wendy, I'm a big man now. (laughs) Like, Lord, how that girl did not scream is beyond me. (laughs) I'm sure like they prepared her and stuff, you know, like, because I mean, look what happened to Bay. That's true. This this poor girl's been through a lot. I mean, yeah, I mean, to be fair, probably after everything she's been in, Michael now being enormous probably doesn't even clock with her. Mm -mm. No, although I'm really sad because clearly their parents are dead. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess they'd have to be. Yeah, because of John and Michael. Yeah, I don't I don't assume like Pan's whole thing extended to mama and daddy, darling. No. So they've probably been dead for like 100 years now. Oh mm-hmm. God! And they they like live thinking that Wendy and also Bay because they knew Bay was there like lost forever. Oh no, I'm sad. Well, not only that, but like Michael and John. Well, I, okay, let's okay. Let me think of this realistically. They right? could have grown up there. They definitely probably did grow up there. But now I have to wonder. Well, when did Mary and George die? Right? Like, hopefully they were taken. Like when when John and Michael were like the age they appear to be right now, right? Because then they didn't have to like watch their sons never age after a certain point. But yeah, I'm just going to assume they got swept away in the Spanish flu epidemic. I mean, it's a safe bet. Yeah. Yeah. 
moving on from this bleak topic (laughs) sad about the darlings man sad about the darlings sad about the darlings feels feels bad man hopefully they still own their house though because man that is some prime real estate in london that's (laughs) fucking true david is miraculously not dead thanks to the healing waters of neverland mary margaret spies a totally done and over at regina before raising her voice the crowd knows that they owe much of their gratitude to the former evil queen who helped save them all. Poor Regina is like Professor Coldheart getting his very first Care Bear stare. Like, oh my God, what is this love and sunshine? Y'all are blasting up my butt. Yeah, she does not know how to deal with this positive attention coming from Snow White and the rest of the town. And I feel like this arc really is a turning point. And Snow and Regina actually, they kind of are strangely friends like after this moment. I guess even starting in Neverland. But it's weird and endearing and it's a really new and fun dynamic for them and mm. you know only only snow white could be like you tried to kill me from years but we're we're buds now Bless she's her. too good for this place she is too good for this place this was regina's thought right now was just like oh no she is too good for this place <laughs> oh see God i thought her thought was it. just do not perceive me oh, that too <laughs> We flash back to the enchanted forest of the past, where the evil queen threatens Snow White and Prince Charming at their wedding, as seen in Season 1, Episode 1. Afterward, a flustered and furious Snow White stomps into an empty meeting room, demanding that it is time to finally do something about Regina, who always manages to ruin their lives. Her poor himbo husband asks, like what? Not realizing that this is just a time to nod and smile and agree with his new bride. Snow has no concrete plan, only that there must be a way to fight back. Prince Charming assures her that all Regina made was threats against their happiness, as she is impotent to physically attack them, and the only way to show her up is to go on their honeymoon and be happy. Snow White reluctantly agrees, for now, and brightens when Charming agrees to honeymoon at the Summer Palace, where her gross father and former mean girl mom went for their honeymoon. (laughs) Charming leaves to prepare for their journey. He instantly becomes a happy puppy mannequin as soon as she says they can go on the honeymoon. Like, he is so excited about this. He is but a sweet and simple himbo. I know, his face is just, like, beaming. It's adorable. Grumpy comes into the room and reports that there are no further signs of the queen. He doesn't care what Charming says or thinks. Grumpy only wants to know what Snow White thinks. He also says, oh, I overheard, but like the man was dead ass standing in the corner of their room. <laughs> of course you overheard. You weren't subtle. It was like having a little angry rain cloud in the upper right hand corner of the screen. <laughs> it's Grumpy Bear. Pretty much. And then like, so he's just standing the whole time and then he's like, sorry, I didn't mean to overhear. It's like, my guy. <laughs> <laughs> I do love though. He, he knows where the brains of this operation lies. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Like, God God bless Charming, but he's like, okay, now that the dum-dum's gone, what's the plan? <laughs> now that you threw the stick and the golden retriever went to go fetch it. <laughs> what's, what's the plan, boss? What are we doing? Yeah. Snow White coyly replies that she thinks there is something at the Summer Palace that might help defeat the evil queen. In Storybook of the Present, Mr. Gold explains to David that the shadow can't escape its new prison of the Black Sail. He holds up Pandora's box and explains that the only person who could free the shadow is safely imprisoned within. Masquerading as Henry. Panry! Am I going to have to call him Panry now? Yes. I called him him Henry Pan in my notes. And then I called Pan Henry, Pan Henry. Henry I just called the person that was actually Pan Pan and the person that was actually Henry Henry. (laughs) Call it short Pan and tall Henry. (laughs) (laughs) 
little pan. Little pan. Tiny pan. Yeah. Fake I actually, pan, fake Henry. I don't know. I'm kind of liking tiny pan now. <laughs> <laughs> I might use tiny pan. I like tiny pan. Evil Henry. Evil Henry. I like tiny pan. <laughs> so is tall tiny, t- tiny, tiny pan and tall Henry. <laughs> <laughs> it really makes me laugh. <laughs> it does. It's funny. It's all on the fly. I think of things to call. <laughs> but I'll give you some panries. Thank you. Because you, you're very proud of it. I am. Panry <laughs> walks up to Felix and alerts him that in order for the heroes to trust him, he needs to punish Felix. Pretending to be nervous about Felix's freedom, Tiny Pan calls over to Emma to ask about Felix. Charming escorts the poor man's Jamie Campbell Bower to jail. We cut to the pawn shop where fake Henry, Emma, Belle, and Regina watch as Mr. Gold hides Pandora's box in a magical floor cubby. He explains that only his magic can release the box, and Henry has nothing to fear any longer because as long as he is alive, that boy will never see the light of day. And we all just kind of groan. One wardrobe change later, Belle fixes the knot of Mr. Gold's tie and asks, what now? Mr. Gold admits that he does not know as he had not intended to make it out of Neverland alive. Belle suggests he can stop worrying about prophecies and focus on his future. He is only interested in one path, the one where he and Belle are together. That was very sweet. Meanwhile, during the celebration at Granny's Diner, Emma brings Panry, (laughs) the all-important storybook. When Emma notices his lack of enthusiasm, even recognition, she asks him if something's wrong. Faux Henry plays dumb, but Emma is visibly unsettled. Pan, you dumb fuck, you done it now. Her original superpower is literally sensing lies, dude. Yeah, you idiot. <laughs> I guess I he doesn't know that. He doesn't even know about the storybook. He doesn't know that. Pan, what kind of a dumb dumb doesn't know that? <laughs> I don't fucking know. <laughs> well, I guess his spies were the Crandall darlings. And then <laughs> kind of dumb. And Greg. I feel like Tamara was probably smart enough she could have gotten that information, but she could have, but I don't think she cared. She she died too quickly for also I think she was just like, We got Henry. That's what I needed to do. I did it. Yeah. You didn't also be like write a biography about him. Yeah. <laughs> also turn in a thesis about the boy when you hand him to me. I expect the boy, and I also expect 20 I mean, pages, double-sided, single-spaced, so like one-inch margins. Tomorrow borrowed the book, I mean, with Neil's supervision and stuff, because he was using it as, like, a primer for yeah. her to, like, learn mm-hmm. who is who. But, like, I don't think, like, you know, she didn't, I don't, I, I don't think she would have, this is precious to Henry. No, it's just more like, oh, this is a Even thing. if she did think that, like, her, the whole, the whole goal she was presented with was get Henry to the island. It wasn't, yeah. like... Bring him to me. And then also, like, make sure that you wrote down all of his likes and dislikes, (laughs) what his favorite foods are, what TV I should be putting on for him, you know, what he needs to settle down at bedtime. (laughs) I'm going to need his whole sitter list. Allergies and emergency numbers. (laughs) I'm going to need the whole sitter list when you hand him over to me so I know what I'm doing when I'm taking on the adoption of this child. (laughs) And she just was like, I don't know. You want a boy? I brought boy. Neil comes to sit down next to Hook at the counter, joking that he's unsure Granny sells rum. A morose Hook says he is not there to pursue the Lady Swan. Neil jests that he is just there to throw back a few with the dwarves. 
Hook is all business, as he states he has made a decision to back off his advances so that Neil can reconcile with her, for Henry's sake. Neil does not need a devilishly handsome pirate standing in the way. Hook <laughs> going, yeah, I am devilishly handsome, <laughs> made me laugh. It was, it was good. Neil thanks him, but Hook insinuates Emma may not offer Neil a second chance. When Regina and her totally not ex-girlfriend Tinkerbell walk in, they run into Mother Superior, who in her surprise refers to the latter as Green. Regina firmly reminds the fucking blue battle axe that her name is Tinkerbell. Hashtag fairy green for life. I love that she's just like, fuck you, her name is Tinkerbell. Like, I she was them. mad. She was mad. She real mad. She big mad. Flustered, Mother Superior tries to babble an excuse, but the other women cut her off with Regina demanding that Blue restore Tinkerbell's wings back. Mother Superior snipes that she does not take orders from Regina, who counters that Tinkerbell helped them and earned her wings back, and that Tink even got pixie dust to work. When Mother Superior asks about this, Tinkerbell says it only worked for a second. Mother Superior states that that is the problem, and she can't believe in Tink if Tinkerbell can't even believe in herself. When Mother Superior saunters away, Tinkerbell declares that she needs a drink. I must say, Regina was beautifully restrained in this moment. I mean, Granny's Diner was too crowded for a fireball fight, but Jesus, they should have got her on the way back to the nunnery, because what a haughty bitch. Yeah, Blue Fairy can get fucked, but I do appreciate that Regina was just going to go ham on her. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Me too. From across the diner, Emma and Neil watch Panry leaf through Henry's notebook. Neil asks if they can make time to talk. Emma sassily asks him, isn't that what they are currently engaged in? And when Neil fumbles, Emma follows up with, are you trying to ask me out on a date? She falters, unsure, when Neil decides to make it simple. He says he'll be hungry tomorrow, probably around lunch. He's going to come downstairs to Granny's to sit in a particular booth, and she is welcome to join him. After Neil leaves to be with Henry, Emma turns around to see her parents overheard everything. Mary Margaret tells Emma that she owes it to herself to go. Emma does not believe she can think about herself after everything Henry has been through. As they watch her skitter off, David muses fondly, now who does she remind me of? Mary Margaret smiles. It's so cute because you can see the squealing little Snow White living inside Mary Margaret going, me, me, my daughter is stubborn and insufferably noble, just like me. I love it. It was so good. She was so proud of her. She's like, she is like me. She is. She does take after me. I'm so happy right now. In the enchanted forest of the past, Snow White and Prince Charming arrive at the Summer Palace with husband carrying his bride over the threshold. When Prince Charming says they should enjoy the time alone, Snow White tells him that she has a special something planned tonight that is worth waiting for. Ever the respectful himbo, Charming agrees to wait. As soon as he leaves to stable the horses, Snow shucks off the bulky cloak and goes directly to a cache of weapons, pulling out a sword, a quiver of arrows, and a trusty bow. She sneaks out of the palace, only to run directly into a waiting Charming. <laughs> Not such a himbo after all. I am so smart. I am so smart. S-M-R-T. <laughs> the amount of times my wife does that. <laughs> <laughs> I do it all the time, too. So don't worry, Elisa. You are in good company. I am nothing if not a himbo in my soul. <laughs> mm-hmm. You are a himbo, honey. <laughs> Charming correctly read Snow White's terrible poker face and surmised she had a plan to deal with Regina's threat. 
Snow White explains that she wants to cut off Medusa's head to turn the evil queen into stone. Oh my fucking God. I rewound this scene just so I could re- watch it over again. Charming's expression as Snow is retelling the story of Medusa and his face gets pinched as he sighs, what kind of creature? <laughs> like, <laughs> he's just like, like, Jesus, why is my wife so hot and so murderous? I just want to get married, make babies. <laughs> he's suffering. <Yeah. laughs> he's suffering. I mean, this poor man just wants to be on his honeymoon and cuddle and stuff, but his wife is a complete murder hobo. And he is just doing his best. (laughs) Charming insists on going along with this feat with Snow, begging his new bride to promise that after she slays Medusa, will she please focus on relaxing and enjoying the rest of their honeymoon? Snow happily agrees. In present day Storybrooke, Emma tells wee evil Henry that it is bedtime and they should go. But when they go to say goodnight to Regina, who lightly expresses it'll be difficult to let him out of her sight, Lil Pan suggests sleeping at Regina's house instead. Mother and son exit, leaving a bewildered Emma in their wake. Snow suggests that perhaps Henry just wanted to sleep in his old bed for his first night back. When he gets home, Pan reopens the book onto a page displaying the curse. When Regina comes to tuck him into bed, wee evil Henry asks about Regina's vault. He pretends to be worried about Pan, explaining that he wants to use magic to be safe. Regina tells him that magic isn't the answer and that her vault is dangerous. She promises to protect him no matter what before tucking him in and kissing him goodnight. Man, Regina is so happy that Henry, quotations, needs her and she's like, my son loves and needs me. And I'm like, oh, honey. Oh, no. She's not always the smartest. No, but I do have to say she also has grown because she's all like, magic's not the answer. And I was like, oh, Regina, you've come so far. She has yes. definitely grown in that sense. I will give her that. But, this but I am also kind of like, but kind of magic is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> and also just, God, what? I don't even remember what episode it was. We definitely had one where I just kept under my breath going, oh, why is she so dumb? Yeah. And this episode, I feel like is part two of that for me. <laughs> part two of me quietly lamenting why is regina so dumb she's just so desperate she's to be so desperate loved. yeah but she's smarter than this <sighs> anyway. yeah i would i would think i would think as soon as henry hugged both emma and regina those two would know something was weird yeah i feel like if anyone should be all like oh something's weird like i understand the charmings and neil maybe yeah. not getting it Especially Neil, because God bless him, he hasn't actually gotten to spend that much time with Henry. He doesn't know all the intricacies of Henry. Right. But Emma and Regina both should be able to pick up on something being up. And Emma's the only one that's like, oh, no. And everyone's just like, you're overreacting, Emma. Yeah. I think it's just Regina is so desperate for Henry's attention and approval. Yeah, I think she's just in big denial. I would have liked that, but she's smarter than this. (laughs) I would have liked to have seen some worried looks on her, but then her actively waving them off. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, you see her like battling with it, being like, something's up, but. Yeah, like her and Emma do it separately. But then, like, when Emma does eventually, like, you know, lets her concerns finally be known, and then, you know, Regina does get defensive, I think that's fine still like i think that would make it so you know that much sadder like she decides to double down Mm -hmm. you know but at least have some recognition yeah oh well we got what we got 
Oh my god, oh my god. Still a good episode. Still a good episode. Yeah. As soon as she leaves, Cosplay Henry is out of bed and opens the window to free his shadow. Back in the Enchanted Forest, Snow White asks Charming if he is mad at her, which causes Charming to scoff and reply, I fell in love with you on a troll bridge after you robbed me and hit me over the head with a rock. I knew what I was getting myself into. Bless. I mean, nothing says I love you like hitting someone in the head with a rock. It is known. (laughs) It is known. The newlyweds discuss how to conquer the immortal Medusa, how to free her victims, and how to use the head to turn Regina to stone. Charming asks his wife about the moral quandary this quest may put her in, seeing as Snow was reluctant to execute Regina when they had the opportunity. Snow explains that before, Regina only threatened the two of them, but now she's up the ante and threatened the entire kingdom. Charming argues that they have managed to protect the kingdom without a gorgon's head, but Snow claims to not have a particular reason why this time is different. They come upon a stone entrance and begin to slowly approach it, weapons drawn. We flash back to Storybrooke. While David and Mary Margaret are eating at Granny's, Mr. Gold gives him the elixir to stop the dream shade poisoning. It's important to note that they are eating lasagna. Get your bingo cards out. Presumably not with pepper flakes because it wasn't made by Regina. Yeah, it was Granny's lasagna. Mm -hmm. Granny's non-blasphemous lasagna. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, babe. Listen, you get to be weird about all the food things you want to. Let me have this one. Suspicious at first, David gets gold to reiterate that he is owed nothing, except for maybe someday, and that day may never come. Gold will call upon him to do a service for him. But until that day, accept this elixir as a gift and the honor of the fact that they are now family. And the look of joint dismay on Snow and Charming's faces as they're like, oh shit, we're in-laws with Rumpelstiltskin now. Gross. is amazing. <laughs> Excuse me. I need to be acknowledged for my amazing Godfather quote. Thank you very much. Oh, I appreciate you. Thank you. <laughs> David downs the elixir, kisses his wife, and tells her they should start on that baby. Their little kiss was so cute. Mary Margaret frowns as she notices Neil waiting alone in a booth. David leaves to find Emma at the beach, where she tells him that she thinks that Henry is not acting like himself, citing his lackluster response to his storybook and desire to stay at Regina's as reasoning. Furthermore, Emma feels as though something bad is going to happen. David gently reminds Emma that Regina raised Henry for the first 11 years of his life and that they are all recovering from the trauma Neverland inflicted upon them. David advises his daughter to look for and enjoy the good moments in between the bad ones, of which Emma believes she is a magnet. Emma admits to being unsure she is ready to have intimacy with Neil again, but her father believes there is no time like the present to find out. Whenever Charming is being a dad TM, it's the cutest. It's so cute. The scene was really lovely. And then I love that he gives her his arm when they turn to leave. It was so sweet. It's very soft. As father and daughter walk arm in arm, Emma suggests that her father has an ulterior motive pushing her towards Neil, namely to keep her away from Hook. David pauses to look at his daughter and dead ass reply, you think I'm interested in Hook? Emma, I'm a married man which is honestly exceptional line delivery. It was so good. It was so good, I rewound it and watched it twice. How dare the writers be this goddamn clever and adorable? Andrew Chambliss, how? How did you pull this off? I refuse <laughs> to believe he did this alone. Every, every single scene Charming is in, he has a better line than the last scene he was in. It's amazing. 
and excellent top tier dad daughter bonding and dad jokes. This is just a great episode for charming overall. It is. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. At Granny's, Cook runs into Tinkerbell as she leaves the powder room. She notices he looks long in the face, but he unconvincingly says he's fine. When Tink turns to go, Hook asks about how she is adjusting to Storybrooke and invites her to share a drink with him. Tinkerbell is not having it, knowing Hook wants more than just a drink. She further accuses him of using her to distract himself from Emma. I may have lost my wings, but I haven't lost my dignity. As Tink rejects him, she is cut off by the sound of a blood-curdling scream. Hook and Tinkerbell race outside to investigate the doys and run into Emma and David. Emma asks if Tinkerbell and Hook were together at Granny's. Tinkerbell denies this, whereas Hook implies that they were. Oh my god. Who would ever think that running out of a diner together? Like, this isn't sus at all. They didn't exit out of the B&B front door. This show wants to make mountains out of molehills and doesn't even know how to do it properly. (laughs) Also, it's really gross that Hook would imply that something happened with Tinkerbell when it didn't. Like, Mm -hmm. dude, that's not cool behavior. No, it's like, I know that you're you're aiming to, like, make Emma jealous, but that's shitty. Yeah. You're better than this, you man slut. Yeah, stop <laughs> stop drinking. Put the rum away. Yeah. Put the rum away. You've, you've had enough. We're cutting you off. We find that the screaming is Mother Superior running from Pan's shadow. She trips and falls to the ground, enabling the shadow to rip her shadow from her body, killing her. Good job, sludge boy. <laughs> Future Elisa, play a joyful merry tune of triumph. As the group tries to understand why this has happened, even though they just saw it, (laughs) bless them, Hook tells the group that the shadow only takes orders from one person, Peter Pan. At Regina's house, Panry is reading the book of fairy tales. He looks so menacing in the shot of him just reading the book. It's evil reading. (laughs) I'm evil reading. (laughs) Regina rushes in and tells Henry that he must come with her because something has happened. Come on, son, it's important to your education that I show you what a dead body looks like. (laughs) In the enchanted forest of the past, Snow White tells Charming to keep his eyes down as they search for Medusa. He wonders how they will find her, but is interrupted by a sudden beast-like screech. They hide behind a stone pillar where they see a CGI serpentine tail slithering away from them. Charming says he will draw Medusa out so that Snow can chop off her head. Charming calls for Medusa, and as she passes the pillar, Snow swings her sword, hitting Medusa's neck. However, the sword disintegrates. Snow is upset that their plan did not work and wonders if she should have stayed at the palace and honeymooned as Charming had wanted. I mean... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Charming reassures her that it is fine, even though it's not fine. 
and they just need to find a way out. Spying a helmet on the ground, Charming throws it to distract Medusa, and they run in the opposite direction toward the exit. Medusa does not fall for the distraction and grabs Snow's ankle with her tail, pulling Snow towards her. Charming shouts that Snow should not look back and throws a shield at Medusa. Medusa lets go of Snow, allowing her to escape, but Medusa grabs Charming, spins him around to face her, and turns him to stone. This is a shameful CGI. I get it. The turnaround time for episodes isn't great, but holy shit. At least mix practical makeup with CGI, claymation, anything. This is just embarrassing. Let's be real. It's nowhere near the worst CGI we've seen in this show. We return to Storybrooke, where David and Emma cover Mother Superior's body with a blankie while Mary Margaret (laughs) cries nearby. Dear gods, we give you the fucking blue fairy. Watch out. She's a bitch and she'll try to take over your heavenly kingdom. Amen. So help me, Hannah. (laughs) Regina appears with Henry, confused because she had the shadow trapped. Neil, Tink, and Hook head to the Jolly Roger to get the candle that can trap Pan's shadow before he strikes again. Emma is convinced that Pan is behind the killing, which Regina says is impossible because he's trapped in Gold's shop. Wee tiny Pan asks if he is safe and if Regina will protect him. Regina replies that she will and goes to leave to take him to a safe place. Emma grabs Regina before she leaves and asks her to keep a close eye on Henry as she feels he's acting strange. Regina accuses Emma of thinking he is strange because she's jealous that he's spending more time with her. Emma denies this, but Regina states that Emma can't deal with the fact that Henry wants comfort from her rather than Emma. Emma reiterates that she just has a gut feeling. Regina advises her co-parent to use her gut feeling to locate Pan's shadow rather than obsess over who is going to comfort their son. Hashtag Henry has two moms who love him very much. Also, can we just praise Lana as Regina in this scene? Before, Regina would have flown off the handle and retaliated the moment she thought Emma was being unreasonable. But she just calmly stated her opposing view of the situation and carried on. Growth. Hey, look at her go. Regina turns back to Henry and tells him that she is taking him to her vault, the one place the shadow cannot reach. Once inside, she asks Henry to promise not to touch anything. With a grin, Panry promises. Oh, Regina. Regina, you can't really be this dumb, I say for the millionth time during this dang show. <laughs> She's so desperate for the love of her son. And then we're all just like, oh no. Oh, honey. Oh, oh honey. honey. Oh, honey. Back in the Enchanted Forest, Snow reassures the stone charming that she won't leave him. She then hears Regina's voice. Regina speaks to Snow from the reflective surface of a shield, because, you know, why not? Asking her if she's enjoying her honeymoon, and that she could barely tell the difference between charming before and after becoming stone. Snow blames Regina for what happened. Regina rejects this and laughs that she didn't realize she could ruin Snow's happiness just by sitting back and letting Snow sabotage herself before disappearing. Okay, but is it just me, or did Regina kind of look like Fran Fine? Like, that hair was piled real high. Who's Fran Fine? The nanny. Fran Dresser. Yeah, she had a little bit of the nanny look going on. She did. You're right. I couldn't tell. She was little. Our big TV's broken. (laughs) (laughs) Our big TV's broken, yeah. It's okay. Friday, someone's supposed to... A man's supposed to come about the TV on Friday. A man? (laughs) A man! A man! (laughs) So right now we have my much smaller TV that usually lives in my sewing room. Snow acknowledges to herself what Regina said was true and looks defeated, but then she realizes that the shield is a mirror. 
She points it at Medusa, who turns herself into stone. With Medusa foiled by her own reflection, the spell on Charming is lifted. He embraces Snow, asking how she defeated Medusa. Snow replies that she let Medusa defeat herself. She apologizes for letting her determination to fight Regina put Charming in danger. He replies that he has ideas and how she can make it up to him. I mean, these two get their kicks by going on death-defying adventures. I think as adrenaline junkies, they should stay in Storybrooke and do things like skydiving or bungee jumping. And I feel like I made this argument back you in have. season one. You have. This was like a season one argument and I stand by it. <laughs> you did when there was the, the should we stay here or move back to the Enchanted yeah, Forest. Oh, season okay. two, season like season two. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I was like, stay here, go skydiving. <laughs> you can go base jumping, it'll be just the same, it's fine. <laughs> also, I love Charming's line that was like, now I know what Frederick felt like. Oh, yes. I was like, oh, sweet Frederick callback. I guess only someone remembers Frederick. Someone remembers Frederick. <laughs> Aww. I'm sure him and, him and Catherine are happy not dealing with all the main cast stuff. I mean, they're, they're like, not magical. They, they're fine. They probably live in Boston somewhere. <laughs> Good for them. Well, they can't leave yet. Oh, they so can't? Oh, because... No. Memories? Memories. Oh, memories, memories. Yeah, so they're probably memories. just... Working, working at the school, chilling yeah. in their houses. Yeah. Staying away from the action. That lovely house. Again, good for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Back in Storybrooke, Emma, David, and Mary Margaret run into Gold's shop where he and Belle are closing up for the day. However, he refuses to get involved with whatever crisis they are dealing with. Belle softly chastises him, giving opportunity for the Charmings to demand Pandora's box to see how Pan is controlling the shadow. Gold initially refuses, saying that it was hard enough to apprehend him the first time. Emma states that she is not looking to apprehend him, but rather get rid of him once and for all. Emma's plan is literally just to bust a cap and pan, and I kind of <laughs> respect that. Because she just, like, takes out her gun and cocks it, and Rumpel's kind of just like, bitch, okay. <laughs> they all drive to the town line, where they plan to release him, as there is no magic outside the town. Emma insists on taking charge over the town line, as the real world is her expertise. She draws her firearm, because of course she does, as Henry and Pan's body is released from the box. He tries to explain that their bodies have been switched, but Mr. Gold warns Emma not to fall for Pan's tricks and urges Emma to just shoot him. No boomsticks for the primitive screwheads. Emma, do not listen to him. She is the only person here who's taken any sort of gun safety classes. (laughs) (laughs) Including the librarian at large. (laughs) (laughs) Emma is not convinced that this is a trick, but wonders why she's felt something strange about Henry. She asks him to prove he is Henry by telling her something only Henry would know. He starts listing facts, but Emma asks him for something harder to fake. Remember when I found you and drank all of your expensive juice? By <laughs> Jove, he is, Henry! Straight from the bottle, too. Straight from the bottle. Oh, God oh, love you, is. Henry, but I never forget and I never forgive. <laughs> <laughs> the naked juice bandit. The naked juice. Emma demands him to tell her about the first time they connected, not met. He recalls the time they spoke in his castle when he told her that he knew that she gave him up to give him his best chance. Emma lowers her gun, convinced this is Henry trapped in Pan's body. Mr. Gold profusely apologizes for putting Henry in the box, and they all embrace. David wonders where Pan is if Henry is with them. David, (laughs) thank God you're pretty. Henry literally just told you that Pan switched their bodies, you wonderful, sweet dum-dum. 
<laughs> but if Henry here where then who's Henry? driving the plane <laughs> <laughs> who's driving my grandson <laughs> but the the Emma and Pan Henry moment was it was a very nice scene it was a very nice scene it was meanwhile in Regina's vault Henry tells Regina that he is lucky to have her protecting him Regina tells him that when all this is over she will be the mother he always wanted her to be as they embrace Wee Tiny Pan steals a vial from behind her. She tells him she loves him, and then he opens the vial in Regina's face, like an asshole, (laughs) causing her to lose consciousness. Evil Pan replies that her love is what made tricking her so easy. Pan is such a good villain. I I know I've said this several times, but he has me feeling so terrible for Regina. Which is kind of a feat. Yeah, because Regina's done awful things. Oh, yeah. But like... I don't know. At this point, you genuinely care for her, and you're like, yeah, "Oh no!" Like she's she's done terrible, unforgivable things, but you're still just like, "Damn, that was ice cold, dude." Yeah. <laughs> In the enchanted forest, Charming apologizes that they were unable to find a way to defeat Regina, even if he did not know why she wanted to do it in the first place. Snow tells him that she knew the reason she wanted to turn Regina to stone is that it was because she wanted to start a family without the fear of Regina interfering. Snow realized, though, that there will always be something opposing them and that they just need to move forward with their plans of starting a family to find good moments in between all of the bad ones. They kiss. Back in Storybrooke, the heroes all gather at Regina's vault. Emma is unable to reach Regina's cell phone, and Henry reminds his grandpa Gold that Pan is still in his body, and if he must throw a fireball, try to avoid the face. Hook has the coconut candle needed to capture the shadow, which is a fucking sentence. (laughs) But Neil informs them that the vault is locked up tight. Mr. Gold is unable to unlock Regina's vault initially and tells them it'll take some time. David and Mary Margaret step aside to speak with Emma, who is feeling defeated about not being able to fight Pan since he is using Henry's body. Her parents assure her that she will save Henry and live in her moments. Emma replies that her parents are great, but wrong. That she will never have happy, restful moments, as that is the price of being the savior. Mr. Gold opens the vault, and they find Regina alive, but unconscious on the floor, with no sign of pan. Mr. Gold revives Regina, who admonishes herself for falling for his tricks because she wanted so hard to believe him. Henry, in Pan's body, hugs Regina and reassures her that he still needs her. David asks what Pan took. Alarmed, Mr. Gold asks Regina if she kept liberal air quotes it in her vault and regina responds where else would she keep it in the storybook forests henry shows felix that he has stolen the dark curse from regina just a small henry pan plotting with a giant grown man felix is a very hilarious juxtaposition (laughs) i mean he comes up to that asshole's hip he really does (laughs) in the vault the group wonders why pan has taken the curse Mr. Gold tells them that the curse can be cast again and that no one will be able to stop it without Snow and Charming's true love woven into the spell. In the forest, Pan tells Felix that by casting the spell, all the inhabitants will forget their memories, the time will stand still, and that he and Felix will be in charge. Pan states they will turn Storybrooke into the new Neverland, which is also the title of this episode, so go ahead and do a shot. (laughs) And credits. So, not gonna lie. I thought that Pan sprung Felix from jail to murder him and kick off the curse (laughs) and was like, ew, is Felix the thing Pan loves the most? That's gross. That guy sucks. But overall, it's not a bad episode. 
We've got murder hobo Snow White and her support of Himbo. Emma being smart and Regina not <laughs> at all. <laughs> and honestly, really good acting on the parts of both Jared Gilmore and Robbie Kay. And good old shitty as hell Hallmark Once Upon a Time CGI. It was nice after the last couple of episodes to watch one where I didn't just groan miserably through the whole thing. Fuck, I hate how much I like this episode. <laughs> My quibble is, of course, the horrible Medusa. Like, what a waste and an amazing misunderstood legend because she's a symbol for survivors of sexual assault. And to just treat her like a throwaway character when they're absolutely 100% going to introduce Olympians and Greek mythology, uh, it's just reprehensible. I'm not going to wonder how Chambliss pulled off this episode. I'm just going to accept it for the awesome episode it is. So much good snowing exchange, lots of family dynamics explored between Emma and Regina, Emma and Neil, Neil and Hook, Golden Bell, Henry and his family. Everybody got a little moment to shine, no matter how quick the scene was. Yeah, I thought this was was a solid episode. And I do agree with you, Chell. Like, Medusa deserves better than just being a random monster in this flashback. But it wasn't, like, the worst thing ever. Mm -hmm. It was nice to see Snow White problem solve under fire again and figure out the trick to defeating her. But they also could have used, like, a basilisk or something. I feel like that would have been better. But whatever. I am a sucker for a Snow and Charming episode, so I, I really enjoyed this one. I think we get some great character moments from basically the majority of the cast. The flashbacks are a really solid secondary story. The overall looming threat of Pan feels very real, and like everything is about to blow up. Like You feel what Emma's feeling like something bad is about to happen. And I think this episode really works as the penultimate episode for this arc. I liked it. Time to talk about some costumes. Finally, costumes. Oh my God, we're not still in the same outfits for the last 10 episodes. Yeah. (laughs) So while Chic Ariel's outfit is a little too sensible and plain, especially given how they established her as being a bit quirky, I just wish it had a little bit more personality to it. And along the same note, while Belle also looks adorable in her red Valentino top and Burberry skirt, I wish there had been more fall colors or more Belle to her outfit. Her next outfit is very complimentary to Mr. Gold's suits, with her little houndstooth blazer, her leather skirt and matching leather gloves, and a jaunty little raspberry beret. I like the beret. I love that beret. Mm-hmm. Um, her signature blue is in her top, but it's more of a, you know, like a, a whisper rather than a shout. But overall, I, I love that outfit a lot. Both of Snow and Charming's honeymoon adventuring leathers looked so good. You know, we've seen the Snow White costume before, but it's as flawless as ever. Charming's, however, is new. That deep blue shade is beautiful. I love the shoulders. I love the, it's not quite quilting, but it's like almost quilting, like stripes on the arms. It looked so good. I'm pretty sure this is officially my new favorite charming outfit. He looked wonderful in it. I also like that Emma being home means she immediately put on five layers in all (laughs) black. She even has her, her beanie, turtleneck, a big coat. She is so happy to be back in the cold where she can like bundle up. And everyone can stop oogling her arms. This episode does have one of my absolute favorite Snow White costumes, which, I mean, we've seen before, but I still like it. 
But I think it's really a choice that they keep sticking Ariel in heels when that girl has maybe had legs for a total of six hours of her entire <laughs> life. So she really shouldn't be able to walk in them. Like she should barely be able to walk at all. But at least they aren't the ankle breakers they keep putting Belle in because they put that girl in some freakishly tall shoes consistently. And speaking of Belle, I do think it's interesting that they seem to be putting her less and less in her colors this episode. Mm. Like, we get her in some blue at the very end, but the majority of this episode, she's in grays and red. And I'm wondering if there is a reason for that, or if they just kind of gave up on trying to correctly dress her in her colors this episode. I don't know. Well, red is a very Rumpelstiltskin color. Like, he's definitely often in reds. That's like his accent color. But it's not yeah. her colors. Yeah. No, his accent color is mostly purple well, his, magic. His one, like, leathery outfit he wears all oh, the time yeah, is yeah, red. Yeah. Yeah. Like, as in, like, Enchanted Forest Rumpel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then oh. he's a very gray character. Oh. Ooh. All right. I don't, I don't know. I, I think this one, I, I don't I really see the symbolism of, of these colors. Yeah. I can't think yeah. of a good reason for her to be in gray and red. Yeah, no. ditto. Which is why I'm like, I don't know if there's symbolism or if they just were like, oh. This is cute. Yeah, this, this, this is a nice hair. Have a skirt. Yeah. yeah. I don't think there was any ulterior motives. Well, then shame on them because usually <laughs> they're good about dressing <laughs> they people are in their good. set colors. Did, if anyone did some deep think pieces on Belle's red and gray outfit, please send it to us. Let us know your, your analysis. All right. Who's that guest star? In season three, episode 10, we have Matt Kane as John Darling. Bristol-born actor Kane is most notable for his roles in The Cut and Switched at Birth. He is currently dabbling in writing and directing. James Amakis as Michael Darling. American-born James Amakis has enjoyed a career mostly of guest roles on television shows such as Drake and Josh, House, Grey's Anatomy, Mad Men, and Lucifer. Interestingly enough, he has acted most recently in a short called Guilty, written and directed by Matt Kane. Oh, they, they have been good friends since meeting on Once Upon a Time. Nice. And then we have Tom Pickett as the bishop who marries Snow and Charming. Character actor Tom Pickett has been enjoying a steady career of, of 30 years and counting, with guest spots on shows such as The X-Files, Sliders, The L Word, Masters of Horror, Loudermilk, and Supernatural. Do a shot. Do a, Do a shot. shot. All right, it's time for Once Upon a Timeline. It's time to return through the portal back into the loving embrace of the timeline. So from the flashbacks that we've seen so far in other episodes, the most recent before this one are the ones in season one, episode one pilot, where we see the official wedding ceremony of Snow White and Charming, where, of course, evil Queen Regina first threatens them about the curse. In this episode, we actually get to see the immediate aftermath of Snow and Charming reacting to these threats and going on their honeymoon. <laughs> the episode that most closely follows the flashback scene here, at least of the ones we've seen so far, is season one, episode four, The Price of Gold. This episode also takes place around the same time as the early flashbacks in season one, episode two, The Thing You Love Most. We do eventually see a direct follow-up episode to the honeymoon, but for that, we'll have to wait until season four. So our rants and raves. I had a birthday party, which was nice, but I'm kind of super hyped for geek stuff. For, first of all, I watched all of Ms. Marvel, very much surprised binged it, had no intention of binging it, just like got hooked very fast. 
I loved it. And it is by far my most favorite of the Marvel TV shows. Also, I watched all of the trailers that dropped over at San Diego Comic-Con this weekend. And let's see. The ones, I wrote them down. The ones I'm, I'm looking forward to are The End is Nigh, hosted by Bill Nye, the science guy. She-Hulk, attorney at law. Oh my God, that looks so good. Wakanda forever, of course. I am cautiously optimistic about the Dungeons and Dragons. Is it oh, a- hell it's, yeah. It's going to be fun. It's not going to be good. It's going to be Bard fun. Chris it's Pine. Fun, fun, fun. I'm excited. Okay, is that a film or is it a show? It's a film. It's a film. Okay, we should go see it. Hell yeah. Let's you guys do it. See, yeah, we should go see it at like an Alamo draft house or something. Oh my God, do we have those down here? Yeah, there's one in downtown LA. <gasps> okay. All right, cool. Let's all, I'm on the list. So let's, let's, let's do it. All right. Once cool. upon a rewatch outing. Yay. That's not like till November or something, but still, yay. Still, <laughs> um, not that far for, away. for my mother's sake, I'm very happy about the five shorts that they're going to debut on Disney plus called I am Groot. <laughs> Moms love Groot. Does it say your mom a big Groot person? My mom really loves Groot. I don't, My mom does too. And so does Ariana's mom. Mm-hmm. Like, I know. Moms, love, moms Groot. love Groot. Like I don't know if my mom cares about Groot. I'm going to have to ask her. Your, your mom's a little more, I think, in the know than all of our moms too. Like, she also was a punk in the 70s. So Yeah. But like, I mean, I like Groot too. I'm just happy that they're shorts and they're not like stretching this out into like something that needs to be a full-blown Groot TV yeah. show. Right. Interview with the Vampire, again, I don't want to say I'm even cautiously optimistic. It's just more like it looks like a fun time, and therefore I'm going to give it a shot. It's starring Jacob Anderson. Jacob uh, Anderson. Yeah. Raleigh Ritchie. My love. Second love. My wife is my main love. Oh, no, no. You you said it. <laughs> no. um, um, what? Jacob Ooh. Anderson is playing Louis. So yes. most people know him as Grey Worm on Game of Thrones. Oh, but oh my he actually God. has an absolutely amazing musical career. Yes, I didn't know that. Yeah, under Raleigh, Raleigh Ritchie is like my favorite. I love Raleigh Ritchie so much, and he's Louis. Oh, I didn't know that. That's him. Mm-hmm. Man, he's yeah. having a year. Yeah, oh, yeah. he's so good because he's oh also God. in. Um, I don't know. Doctor he's in something Who. else. He was on Doctor Who. Well, he's fantastic, so he deserves to have every role ever. He's so good. One yeah. of the best shows I've ever seen is seeing him live. It was so that- good. That's awesome. I'll have to, you know, send me, send me some of his tracks. I'm, I'm always down to listen to new stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I've been a fan of Interview with the Vampire and the Vampire Chronicles since I was 12. So I've had a very emotional roller coaster relationship with Anne Rice and, and the fandom and like the books and everything. And I'm 40 now. So like I've, I've made peace with everything and I'm just like, it can't hurt me anymore. So it doesn't matter. Like if it's a, if it's a good time, then it's a bonus. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to it. I'm glad that it's a diverse cast. I'm glad that it's taking place now in 1910, Louisiana. I think that'll be fun. And that still the stat is like a gay troll. <laughs> like yeah. she's just like, and I like everything else like can totally be changed. But as long as he's still like gay for Louis and just absolutely fabulous, that's all that really matters. Anything has to be better than Queen of the Damned. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Don't even talk to me about we that. We don't. Christ, we don't talk about Queen of the we Damned. Don't, we don't talk about it. We don't talk about it. And then last but certainly not least, the one that I'm looking forward to the absolute most and I'm really super hyped about is The Sandman. Yes. Yes. Oh, Tom Sturridge. 
I am I'm so excited about Sandman. I am so excited. Gwendolyn Christie as Lucifer. I just like, yeah, I watched that trailer and I just was like, oh shit, suddenly I'm a 14-year-old goth again. Yeah. And I love I watched the panel online and they were introducing the cast and you know, they're going like, oh, how how do they all get involved and stuff? And Neil was hosting and Mason, who plays Desire, uh, Neil's like, Oh, I just found that Mason on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> And they were like, what? They're like, yeah, they tweeted at me and said, hey, how do I get in touch with casting? And then I looked at their stuff and I looked at their YouTube videos and I was like, yeah, this is totally my desire. Let's, let's go. I love that. That's it's fabulous. just amazing. I just, I love how accessible Neil is. Yeah. For how, for how esoteric the things he writes are, he's, he's, he's like a very in touch person. He's very in touch. He's very down to earth. And he's also like a big geek. So he's very genuine. Very genuine. Anyway, that was my, that's, that's all my stuff. It's good stuff. You had a, you had a considerable list. Thank you. Um, I guess in the topic of San Diego Comic-Con, Lynn and me went and saw my brother, my brother and me and the Adventure Zone live in San Diego. So SDCC adjacent. We didn't actually attend the con, but we did attend those two shows in the Gaslamp District outside the con. It was very, very fun. I laughed very, very hard. There was like this moment at the Mabim Bam show when like the boys came out and they hugged their father and just all everyone around me. And I was like, oh man, this felt, it felt so normal. Like, cause we, we've done those shows so many years and it's been, you know, years not doing that. So all of a sudden it was like, oh man, we're back here and we're doing this. It was just a very good feeling. Uh-huh. What about you, Lynn? Uh, well, I mean, you kind of covered what my thing for the wink was. What was it, Lynn, that made you really crack up? Was it Griffin's Sonic song? Okay, there were three things in that show that made me crack up really hard. She laughed so hard, it was really cute. I think the thing that did make me laugh the hardest was Griffin's made-up Sonic the Hedgehog song that had the line, me and Mario are best friends, we have a dog together. <laughs> so good. And then there was Opera Man <laughs> and his neighbor, his his roommate Cornflake, who doesn't talk. <laughs> very good. He's the most normal man in existence with his normal roommate, Cornflake. And then the third thing was Griffin's character, who's supposed to be Batman, but can turn into a million crows. And he had the line with, you have to hand the object to the crow that's holding the knife. He's the boss. And then it was, you have to roll to make sure that the crow holding the knife doesn't stab Travis. (laughs) And he rolled very well. And it was, and he said, he doesn't stab him. He hops over and he gives him a kiss on the cheek. It's very sweet. (laughs) <laughs> that part was so cute oh my god it was a very good live show they played a game Chell. that was was it super super normal i think it was it was something like that it was called something like super normal and i know it's run on just d6s yeah yes. super normal designed by ursa dice hmm. is a mini rpg where players act as superheroes with unstable powers just trying to enjoy their day off the system uses six-sided dice do something super powered is easy doing something super powered and showing it off is harder and doing something normal, very difficult. That's the description for the game. <laughs> it was very good. Like, I, I think the only other thing I really have to offer up, I've been able to get back and listening to the Magnus Archives again. And I'm almost through it. And it's excellent. And I don't think you two would like it at all. But, <laughs> but I, I do. And I, and I missed like, it. Why wouldn't we like it? And then I must figure, I was like, it must be gross. It's horror underlined because I know I've touched on it before, but anything that you could be afraid of 
will at some point show up in the show because fear itself are essentially entities. Mm -hmm. And so the things that make people scared are what make these things, these essentially like almost deities powerful. Oh, wow. So they draw power from every human fear. And there's like basically four, there's like four big ones and then a bunch of like subheadings under all of them. So pretty much anything that you would be like, well, I'm not okay about that. will at some point show up in this. Okay. It sounds like a great concept. It's wonderful and it's wonderfully executed and the writing is spectacular, but it is also horror underlined. And I know neither of you are horror people. So it's not like me being like judgmental, like, oh, you guys wouldn't be into, I just, I know you guys, and I know you guys wouldn't like it. Mm -hmm. Get squicked out. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch. The race is on to stop Pan from enacting another curse on the residents of Storybrooke, which would kill every living soul in town. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. We are the Narrators 3. The moral of this episode is, your honeymoon does not have to be that extra. Get married! Make babies! Talk fairy tales with us on anchor.fm slash onceuponarewatch. Tweet us at onceuponrewatch. Participate in episodic polls on Instagram at Once Upon Rewatch. Follow us at Once Upon A Rewatch.tumblr.com. If you enjoy Once Upon a Rewatch, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on your platform of choice. The artwork for our podcast was by Lychee Ruru. We want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLeod. Our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro music is Fairy Tale Waltz. This podcast uses material from episode-specific pages on the Once Upon a Time wiki at Fandom and is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike license. And remember, all plot devices come with a price. The writer for this episode, what was that? That was a Kermit. It was like, I heard a thump. <laughs> yep, that's a, that's, a, that's a chubby boy. Hi, Kermit. <laughs> I know he can't hear me, but I still want to say hi. Lynn says hi. <laughs> <laughs>